Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Brown, and joining me in the studio this week, we have, as ever, Chief Football Writer Miguel Delaney, sports editor Ben Burrows and columnist Tony Evans. In this episode we're going to be talking about all the troubles at Tottenham. We're going to be asking what is making Maurizio Pochettino so grumpy? Is Daniel Levy's last minute wheeling and dealing holding back the club? And what on earth has happened to Harry Kane? But before we get into all of that we should probably address Sunday's 1-0 loss to Newcastle. Tony let's start with you as you you were there in the press box and you weren't overly impressed with what you saw. No, no, they were awful. Um, I was really surprised. Well, when I say that, um, the last three times I've seen Tottenham, they haven't been very good at all. Um, One of them was in the Champions League final. Uh, They were poor in May and early June, and they were poor on on Saturday. But what um, what amazed me was the, the lack of sort of vigor about them the lack of the lack of sort of vitality one of the things that characterized the Pochettino teams in the uh, in you know sort of the years when they were well, the years when they were successful, when, when, when they were on the rise, and they may still be on the rise, let's say, but like they were, they, were, they were always up and at people. That they were a bit snide. They let you know Harry Kane left his foot in. He run through defenders. You know, Delhi Alley was a snide. They, you know, all over the pitch. You know, they were always up for a fight, and sometimes it boiled over, and they lost the discipline. But there was nothing about them. They were meek, and the passing was poor. You know, they never moved the ball with any sharpness. It was all laboured, and they allowed Newcastle to get in. Uh, uh, you know, sort of a five and a four, and just sit in, sit in the shape, and no one, no one moved them out of that shape. It was a really, it was a performance where there was no. I mean, I mean, you know, is there a crisis? Well, actually, it's too early in the season to say there's a crisis. But if there is a crisis, it's a crisis of belief and a crisis of conviction, and that funnels back to the manager. Yeah, I mean, everything about the club at the moment, from the way the manager speaks, from as you mentioned the little elements of the performances, the lack of verve of the performances, to this longer term, most of all really, this longer term results run where they've had more defeats 15 than wins in 2019, I think it's 14, mm. suggests the club is just, it's gone stale. That doesn't necessarily mean it's completely unaddressable, but it, it is something to to address. I know people will point to uh, the Champions League wins over Manchester City and Ajax, but I actually think that they... They actually proved the issue because if you, I mean, if you look at those games now, they weren't classic Pochettino Spurs performance. They're basically adrenaline-driven performances specific to the circumstances and kind of chaotic in a way that Pochettino teams haven't been. And if you, I suppose if you pull back a bit, it's almost as if they needed the kind of electric charge of fixtures like that to actually get them out of what they are now, which is in a pretty massive funk. And I, funk, I didn't say it else there, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I keep coming back. I mean, everyone knows, you know, Pochettino met with Ferguson uh, and all that in like in 2016 when he really was on the rise. And that's, that's what, that's four years ago now, which coincides with, you know, an, one of those kind of classic quotes from Ferguson, kind of where he sums up elements of management in a single set, a few sentences, which is from 2010, 
when it looked like Wayne Rooney wanted to go to, well, Wayne Rooney did want to go to Manchester City and Ferguson was basically trying to convince him that United was the best place for him. And I suppose he was trying to explain why they were on a little bit of a lull, which is because he had basically broken up the 06-09 team. And Ferguson's exact exact line was, I don't think any team can last more than a four-year cycle of success mm. before you have to freshen it up. I think you, you mentioned this in the pod about two weeks ago in relation to Klopp and Guardiola, Tony, about how if the manager stays, then after a certain time, you've got to freshen up the, the squad. Yeah, and like over the years, quite a few people have said that to me, you know, chief executives, players, managers themselves. You can't just stay in the same... Because the players have heard it all before. You know, they get to the point where it doesn't sink in. So, you know, you either either change the manager or change the players. I mean, you could say, I suppose, if you're being critical, you could say we've, we're have we going a bit over the top on one home loss. But I think if the, the headline result of the season so far was a two-each draw against City and... Because it's it's always been lost lost in the wash a little bit, and with sort of the VAR chaos afterwards, that City battered the second best team in Europe, quote unquote, after of a year ago, and sort of the you'd have hoped that signing finally signing a few new players at Tottenham, which they haven't been able to do for two years, would have sort of freshened up that squad and maybe freshened up the message and given Poch maybe the sort of second lease of life that he probably needed at the end of last season, but it doesn't appear to have taken yet. Obviously, there's, there's still time, but. It doesn't. All just doesn't smell quite right, right now. Before we get onto Pochettino more specifically, do we think that one of Tottenham's biggest problems at the minute, which was completely evident during the Newcastle game, is that they just don't really have a plan B? And Pochettino took, I think it was sixty minutes when he finally kind of bought on Ericsson and Lacelso. But they, it seems like if it, if it doesn't work, then Pochettino he'll wait and he'll wait and he'll wait. And against Newcastle, they just didn't really have any kind of ideas with how to counter that low block. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't see much of a plan A. Um, But it was one of those situations where it's in Pochettino's character. If he falls out with players, you know, to blank them, to not use them and to, uh, or misuse them. And, you know, obviously there's big issues with Ericsson, which, you know, he's sort of addressed afterwards, but he doesn't really address. Um, But, you know, we saw in the game against uh, Villa, when they were one down, they were struggling, you know. So it's coming up to the hour, brings on Ericsson, who gives them a bit of creativity, and they go on to win. I tried the same thing again, and it just didn't work. Uh, actually, Ericsson gave them a little bit more, a little bit more sort of get up and go than they had before, but not enough to win it. And I, I think tactically, I think he's 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 reached a sort of impasse where the players no longer believe in what he's asking them to do. And I think uh, you can see you can see that belief has eroded there. And, I, I mean, you know, so you, you hear from sort of some of the people around the club, some of the players, there's, you know, people aren't talking. There's, a, you know, a sort of... A, they, they don't want to say anything because obviously they'll get themselves into trouble with the club. But there is a huge amount of simmering discontent behind the scenes. Yeah, I heard the exact same, especially about even tactics as well, that they're wondering, and <clears throat> although I haven't heard this directly, uh, a lot of people know Vertonghen feels that it's an issue, that he's exactly the sort of character to question it, so it would tally if that's oh, why, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if he's out with a team, but yeah, completely, that there, there are a few question marks about why are we still doing this, uh, and a little bit of doubt about what, he, what he's trying to do with the side, and I suppose even, even if you look at it from a wider perspective, he's trying to play this kind of this, the same way, and yet, without some of the same tools, I mean, the fullbacks, which were once one of the strongest parts of the team, 
especially given their athleticism, is now one of the weakest. And like it's been point given how important fullbacks are to how he plays, and in the modern game, when you look at how, what Liverpool and City do, they're, they're really short of the standard at the moment. You sort of Tony mentioned the sort of lack of a plan A, and I think it was the first time since Boxing Day that he's picked Kane, Lucas, and Son yeah. all together. Mm-hmm. And it sort of it is quite interesting. Luke mentioned the low block that you sort of you'd think two of those players at least rely on that space in behind to sort of get the best out. And you look at Son last year against City when they played super high in the Champions League, and he he killed them. And I think Lucas is the same against Ajax. And I think it that sort of yeah that sort of the mixed message sort of sending these players out to do one thing but they're not quite sure what they're after it's sort of yeah it's coming to life really um, that's sort of the difficulties in the dressing room I mean as Tony said these kind of troubles it's not just the season they were going on throughout the summer they were going on at the end of last season Pochettino's been kind of incredibly grumpy tetchy he didn't seem a happy man on, on the preseason tour Miguel do you think he is genuinely perhaps tired of the Tottenham project or do you think maybe there's a kind of Mourinho-esque kind of element to him playing the media and maybe making out he's kind of more miserable than what he actually is. I, I think if he got right down to it, he'd rather be somewhere else now. I mean, he'll. I think he's genuine maybe caught between two stools to a certain extent. He obviously wants to go to a club like Real Madrid or specifically Real Madrid. But, um, but some of it, so it does appeal to his ego to build a lasting foundation at Spurs. And I think and it's one of the reasons why he always enjoyed the kind of expenditure... Or the, 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 Spending talk because you know he loved to be seen as someone who defied the the realities of the modern game and he could he could win with no money and all the rest of it. But I think he there is a sense that maybe he has taken the club as far. He he he'd maybe outgrown the club, and I, I think it, it's it's not hundred percent answer. But if it came right down, he wants to be, he'd want to be somewhere else. Uh, he always gives the sense that he was just passing through, and he stays a little bit too long. Mm. As optimum moment to leave has probably passed. Yeah. And he must be wondering, uh, will I ever get a chance like that again? And what he needs to do is take a big, deep breath. Because, you know, you can come back from that. I mean, two, two and a half years ago, there were people in the Liverpool team, people who were, uh, who were now sort of praising Klopp to the hill, to people who, who, who you know, sort of uh, regarded as heroes, who were, who were making the same sort of mumblings going, have we got plan B? Where yeah. are we going with all this? So it's not unusual. And you can... You can bounce back from it, but at the moment, everything about the club feels stale. Uh, it was a word Ben used to me last week, and it, it resonated. It just felt stale. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't really help things. That one of the one of the few sources of spark has been Pochettino's own often odd comments in press conferences, where I feel like he just they just seem to create needless problems. They might they might serve him in some way, but yeah, it just kind of creates this confusion around the club, this doubt. Um, even even stuff like you know, if, which actually now believe is completely true, if he'd if he'd have won the Champions League, he'd have gone because that would have been kind of the zenith of what he could achieve. It certainly feels like obviously signing and for a club record fee and getting Lascelles in, which looks like a good piece of business, and Ryan Sessegnon who sort of will come along. It sort of does feel like he's lost that one excuse that was already his ready-made one. It was like, well, if we don't quite achieve what we want to achieve, but we don't quite get that one trophy that everyone's desperate for. If we do lose the Champions League final to Liverpool, it's all off the back of, well, we didn't actually sign any players. So it's sort of, it's, he's backed, he's not backed himself into a corner, but it's, it's sort of certainly a more tricky situation now that he's signed a few players because, yeah, he doesn't, he no longer can rely on that. We'll come on to leave you in the second half, but, Sticking with Pochettino, do you think the kind of fuse that he's got with various players? So he's fallen out with Vertonghen, has previously fallen out with Rose, 
brought him back in and then he was obviously left out the preseason tour. He's not starting with Ericsson. Does does Pochettino have to kind of shoulder responsibility for that? Because he's he's weakening Tottenham by kind of not including these players. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's 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 always been part of his character. I mean, you know, people around Southampton talk about it. He's have his core group of players. And if you're outside them, he's ignored them. And at Southampton, he had people around him at the club who go and talk to the players and say, you know, don't worry about it. It'll all turn around, you know, you'll be but but at Tottenham he doesn't quite have that sort of, you know, leave he's not that sort of character so and and that's fine when you're winning you can do that and it's a very old school method of managing you know it's um but it, it's I, I think you need to you need to be more engaged especially with top players i mean when when you've got quality players like danny rose who you know and essentially they're not enjoying going to work then it's going to show on the pitch yeah, completely. And also, I mean, again, I want to come back to, to Ferguson, but only only because of the fact that Pochettino himself has held him up in such a kind of a reference point as an idol. Well, it's amazing then that, I mean, Ferguson was famous for ostracising players that would go against him, but that was only ever in extreme situations, like Beckham and Van Nistelrooy and Keane, who were, it really got beyond the line. Whereas Poch seems to go to that level far, far, where there's, where there's any sign of the tent. Fer- Ferguson was so much more pragmatic about these things and would bring players back in. Whereas uh, Pochettino doesn't really, he seems to be at best reluctantly. Yeah, well, and that was the point about Ferguson. He'd he, ostracised players and he'd, he'd really haul them over the coals. But he'd do it to make a point. Yeah. But when they passed that, they passed the line, they crossed the line, they were out. It was like, no, you know, mm. he, he wasn't going to, there was no going back. So you didn't skulk around the training grounds feeling bad about life and poisoning the atmosphere, yeah. which Pochettino talked about the atmosphere. He said, oh, the problem's not on the pitch. He says, it's during the week. He said, you know, it's, um, you know, you've got to be a group. You've got to build that togetherness and we're not quite there. Well, the reason you're not quite there, son, is because of you. <laughs> It's tricky. I guess if you want to sort of put the case for the defence, I think what Poch would say is that hopefully after next Monday when the European transfer deadline closes, that perhaps the sort of middle of the week where Christian Eriksen, if he, assuming he doesn't go, is less is more focused on Tottenham than he is on playing for one of the big two in Spain. And ditto over Tongan perhaps. But obviously the, the risk and the fear, I guess, definitely in this room is that it does carry over. I mean, we'll go on to talk about Daniel Levy's role in... Tottenham's slow starts over the years, I'm sure. it's This isn't exactly a new problem. Sort of Harry Kane not scoring in August famously, uh, although he scored twice the other week. But <laughs> this isn't exactly a new problem. And Poch has obviously proven before that he can overcome these problems at the start of a season and then build a challenger. Obviously, like Mick said, the hangover from last season and that dreadful run where they're sort of, I think, bottom three in the country... Mm since in, in 2019 is something you'd have hoped would have been uh, redressed over the summer with signing three new players. But from the outset, it appears that the sort of the same problems that we saw in the style of play and obviously the results are still there. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, w- it was put to me by, by someone who knows a fair few players as well that some of this is basically typical Pochettino and typical Spurs in August, mm. which is about his fitness programme, which would be fine in and of itself except usually in the situation they've come off the back of brilliant endings to the last season where the Champions League notwithstanding, which let's not forget was a very, very tepid defeat in the final, uh, was domestically a really bad end to the season, which points to these wider issues. And, and it, it does feel like, you know, as, as Tony mentioned there, so much of Pochettino's management is geared towards this idea of cohesion in the team and everyone total commitment to the idea, whereas now it just feels like 
in trying to secure that, he's actually negatively affecting it. Just before we go to the break, it's obviously kind of considered inevitable at this point that Pochettino is going to leave eventually a manager of Real Madrid or a PSG, perhaps even United. Do you think his kind of autocratic management style and also the way in which he deals with the press, which is quite abrasive and he doesn't entertain questions about individuals and all this sort of stuff, do you think that could well, ever... Suit him. <laughs> yeah, well, do you think that could ever possibly work at one of these kind of so-called super clubs where you're going to be getting players foisted on you, you know, let, let alone the increased press group, you know? Uh, I think you'd have more, a lot more power at United just because the nature of the club. At Madrid, he'd have so much more to navigate. I, I do think that, I mean, let's not I think he's just got, I mean, he, he, he fancies himself. Uh, he's got a natural charisma, which does mean he'll kind of, I think he'd easily settle into these situations. I mean, this, this isn't, none of this discussion, I would say, is to exactly write off Pochettino as a manager. It's basically just one of those, at the moment, if it is the worst of it, one of those lulls that happens in a career. I mean, let's look at what was said about Klopp at Dortmund in 2014-15. And obviously, <laughs> look at him now. So, it, and I think, because I think that's what it does ultimately comes down to. It's that Spurs need much more of a, of a drastic change than has happened there right now. Uh, that, that isn't necessarily a change of manager, but I think that that team did need a lot more freshening up. Yeah, I mean, I think it must be said that for all of his, obviously, defaults that we've, we're now reeling off, I think if he did walk away from Spurs or Spurs told to, uh, made the decision to make him walk away, there would be a queue of, of teams queuing, queuing up to take him. I mean, he'd walk into Bayern immediately. PSG, you'd think, would be a good fit given he played for them before. I think, I mean, he's the manager United should have gone for before, but that's a subject for an entirely different podcast, I think. But... He is still a very good manager. Perhaps, like we've said, it's just a case of sort of almost like wrong club, wrong time after this amount of time, I suppose. Well, what top-class managers do is they go through spells like this and they get out of it. And that's the real test. As much as trophies, I mean, you know, it's, he's going to be tested really severely this season. Um, you know, but it, it's I wonder whether the signings he's got actually suit the style he wants to play. I mean, that's yet to be seen. Um, and you know whether the his core of first team players we can rely on still believe because there looked a, a little bit of doubt in their minds on at least on Sunday. So um, so yeah, I think it's going to be it, it's going to be a big season for them because you know we, they, they should easily be you'd think looking at it that they're best team in the league, um, and they shouldn't be losing to Newcastle sides like that. Okay, uh, time for a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be. Moving on to talk about Daniel Levy uh, and Tottenham at a boardroom level, as well as looking ahead to this weekend's North London derby. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. 
This week we're drilling into the troubles at Tottenham and it's probably time we talked about club chairman and wheeler dealer extraordinaire Daniel Levy. Uh, ben, Levy's obviously done so much good for Spurs and there's a lot to respect about him, but can Tottenham's repeated poor starts be put down to his insistence on leaving deals so late into the transfer window? It's obviously a thing that has become his sort of calling card now and um, they did, to be, in his in his defence, they did a couple of good deals on deadline day. Um quite why they left it that late to sign two players they wanted in May I don't quite know but I think the interesting thing about Levy and the summer transfer business as a whole is they've sort of ended up replacing players they already had almost rather than giving it the refresh and adding something different it's something Miggs pointed out on Twitter I think that that the late window chase of Paolo Dybala really would have given them something completely different they didn't already have like and Dombele it seems that he's a, he's a, he's a step up but he's Basically, like for like replacement on Musa Dembele. Sessignon offers you something that you've had pretty similarly to Lucas Moura. Hopefully, you're hoping in time that he either stays as the left winger and sort of uh, realizes his potential, or he ends up playing further back and offers you a completely di- a different dimension further back, like Miggs mentioned earlier with the improvement of fullbacks. But yeah, that Dybala signing to offer you a number 10 who can change everything else, a goal scorer, a proper goal scoring midfielder, even more so than Ali or Ericsson, I think it would have been great. So Levy had a good summer, so I wouldn't say he's necessarily set them up to fail, but doing it so late can't be a good thing when you're sort of... Like what What kind of... <laughs> is saving four or five million on Sessegnon really worth him like not having a pre-season. He, he's a bad example because he was obviously injured, but I suppose Lacelso is a better example in that he played the Continental Tournament, then goes back to Betis, kind of, you know, just hangs around Betis for a bit, then comes to Spurs really late, now isn't really available to be starting matches. And you think, is that worth the kind of minute saving? Well, this has been, it's not just this season, this has been kind of a characteristic, yeah. particularly during Pochettino's time, given, and it's all the more important, given Pochettino is a manager who trains in such a way that a proper pre-season is, is much more important to it. Um, so as with any of these situations, it's about whether the good outweighs the bad, which I think Levy, of, of being the character he is, definitely factored into. And he would argue, I suppose, that this just creates an image, a perception and a negotiating position where Spurs are shown as a team or a club that's not going to be messed around with. And that's and that doesn't just apply to transfers, it, was to, it applies to a lot of areas. Um I suppose, given they have broadly overperformed, well, they have let's say considerably overperformed over the past half decade, um, he he would argue that the good does outweigh the bad. Uh, but <laughs> considering that Tottenham squad three years ago, I mean, was just better, was just a stronger mm, squad yeah. than what they've got now. Has he let Pochettino down? Uh, well, you know what you're getting when you work with Levy, and um, so. No, has he let him down? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly last season, um, not you know, adding to that squad in the summer was a massive mistake. Mm. Um, and you know, I do think you know the, the 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 funny thing about Tottenham is they want to show how how tough they are in negotiating. They want to show how they can play with the big boys, but they kind of they've looked at, they looked down a little bit on it by certainly other members of the big six who sort of scoff a little bit about the way they do things i mean you know the, the number of people who've said to me um you know they the, you know the tottenham the signings on the last day of the window and they're like well 
you know, it's a uh, funny. Notice how they never win anything. <laughs> and, you know, the idea is, you know, your managers do want the players in with them and working with the squad and, and, and you know, sort of give a sense of it. On the other hand, uh, it might be a lucky escape for, you know, for a couple of them in the sense that one of the other characteristic of Pochettino teams is they run out of t- steam a little bit yeah. towards the end of the season. And there is a suggestion that perhaps they work too hard in pre-season and during the season. Uh, I mean, Guardiola did that in his first season. And they were knackered by January, changed it for the second season, won the title. Uh, you know, Klopp, again, this first season has rained back on it and has, has tailored his training towards the squad. So, so the late arrivals might be fresher come May. <laughs> I just want to read a quick quote. So uh, was it two, I think it was two seasons ago, seasons ago now, wasn't it? Balagay bought out the um, Pochettino yeah. book. It was just after they finished second, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spring um, 2011. So, <laughs> in... is, I remember a, uh, a fellow journalist who works in the Spurs beat, and he is very positive towards Pochettino, obviously. But I remember he quipped at the time, like, it is amazing. He's, re- he's re- revealing all these secrets, proclaiming his greatness, potentially causing problems after winning nothing. <laughs> <laughs> He, he just he just like laid into players who were still at the team as well. Like, there was a passage about Nkudu, who's obviously only yeah. just left. Remember, he wrote something like, "Oh, you know, Nkudu needs to show that, you know, he's actually got talent and he he's not just turning up to training in a sports car and all stuff like this." But anyway, there, there was a quote in there from Daniel Levy at the back of the book, which I'll quickly read out. Uh, Maurizio has never given me any indication that he wants to leave. He loves the project and once sent me a picture of Bill Nicholson holding the front of the <laughs> gates of the stadium. I replied, one day it is going to be you, because that really is what I aspire to. I would love nothing more for Maurizio to be our manager in 10 to 15 years' time. I guess the question is, five years in, does anybody think that's still possible? Mm. Unless we say he's, he's, he's lost his prime opportunity to leave, and just by a, um, a coincidence of so many circumstances coming together... He ends up staying far longer and, and does get out of this, which, of course, is very possible given his obvious talents as a manager. The, the one thing about that, though, I keep thinking that Pochettino, for all his kind of alpha male characteristics, he's actually quite a schmaltzy figure as well, um, which is also emphasised by the fact that, <laughs> as, Ken, as Ken Early put it, <laughs> him and Daniel Levy go on these kind of skinny dipping holidays together. <laughs> <laughs> The, the new the new age. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a very emotional fella, and he yeah. he's very conscious of uh, what the press say about him. And um, when he when he was at Southampton, there was uh, there was some stuff in the papers that upset him so much he appeared on the uh, training ground wearing uh, glasses, and the you know the players were a bit like, well, "What's that all about?" And it might have just been a very bright day. <laughs> and he might not have been upset, but it's um, it's it's one of those things where it does get to him as yeah. well. Um, you know, it, he he reads everything that's written about him, and 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 if it's if it's negative, he doesn't take it well. I suppose it really doesn't help that this weekend Tottenham have got Arsenal in a North London derby. Uh, Pochettino's never won a Premier League match at the Emirates. Uh, does anybody think that's going to change on Sunday? I mean, I, th- I think this is a, a, as much about Arsenal as it is about Tottenham. Clearly, I think, I think they've got, I, mean, I think they've got a better squad than Arsenal still, and I think they've also got a better idea of how they actually want to play week to week than Arsenal. So I think this, in many ways, it sort of sums up this conversation. It's we're saying Tottenham are in crisis, but it's they're in crisis because they're the third, clearly the third best team in the country. Mm. Arsenal are definitely not that. So this sort of levels of Christ I think and I'm, I would suspect we may see that on Sunday I, 
Who knows? We'll have to see if Harry Kane is more like the player we've seen. It's, what's quite interesting about him, which we'll probably go on to talk to talk about, is he looks in better shape than he's looked in mm. years. Yeah. He's properly trimmed down and he looks physically in great shape. What's not there is that sort of, like Tony alluded to earlier, that sharpness and that zip that has characterised Poch's teams down the years. The chance he missed late in the game. Uh, on Sunday was one that he would gobble all the time. He's obviously scored twice in August, so he can knock that off. But it's strange given that over the last few years, the reasoning for Kane's slow start's been given the fact that he's been away with England all through the summer and had a stop-start time of injuries. This time he's had the full pre-season. Mm. So you'd think he should be able to hit the ground running, but he really wasn't anywhere like the Harry Kane we know on Sunday in particular. Tony, how frustrating was he to watch on the weekend? Because... I remember when he came through and when he was kind of at his pomp maybe two, three seasons ago, people would always compare him to Teddy Sheringham and how intelligent he is as a footballer and the positions he would get into and the kind of spaces he would take up. But it seems, especially in the last few matches and increasingly in his career, he just kind of will come back to the halfway line looking for the ball, completely kind of ruin Tottenham's attacking shape. And it's just increasingly frustrating to watch. Yeah, I mean, and you see it for England as well. It was really obvious in the World Cup. You know, he he was becoming an auxiliary midfielder. He just dropped deeper and deeper. He fancied himself as a number 10, primarily. Yeah, and and why he was so good, as you say, was the fact that where he did, he'd find little seams of space just, you know, and you'd think there was no space there. He'd find it. And then, you know, so very little backlift. Boom, he's at the ball. And, you know, the characteristic of a great striker. Now he goes backwards looking for space. And that's not good. And one of the things that really shocked me is, you know, that front three, all the Tottenham fans were pairing about it before the game going, oh, you know, um, you know, Son and Mora, you know, everyone was saying, that, you know, they, as Ben said, the first time since Boxing Day. The three of them, you could have thrown a towel over them. You know, they, they were yeah. so close together in the centre and they were taking away each other's space and then, then Kane drifts off, drifts off, drifts off and, you know, Newcastle was just sitting there going, you know, yeah, who cares? He wasn't worrying them at all and his runs were, were all were down blind alleys and, you know, it's just difficult for a striker who people have watched repeatedly and, you know, it's um, and they know how to play him but Kane had that yeah. Little something where he found, he found things you think that couldn't be found, yeah. and he's not finding them at the moment. You know, it's, I think it's amazing all this as well that we're not talking about someone that was, we're not, we're not even mentioning someone that was considered, you know, the future of England and Spurs just two years ago, Deli Ali. And in some ways, he's kind of symptomatic of the club a bit in that he's there, you know, he's still there, there, but yeah, he's just not, he's just not excited by it anymore, and it, he feel he's he's gone just stale himself. He's gone backwards. Yeah. If Arsenal beat Tottenham, um, which, you know, there's a very good chance, does it just show that for all of kind of our, the media's obsession with the big six, in reality, Liverpool and City are just so far ahead of everybody else? I was just thinking about this, when, as you said it there a few minutes ago. I, I think it's one of those, I, I think the big six, obviously, still it's still a financial reality that's a problem for the game. But I think we're at a, kind of one of those weird points in history, and it's going to happen in 2016 a little bit, uh, particularly with City, Maybe just, just as Pep was kind of betting in, but it just a few things have come together where four of the clubs are nowhere near as good a position as they should be, and aren't basically maximising their money in the way they should be. Uh, obviously, United is a kind of has been a basket case for a while, and then there's massive questions over the very coach they've hired, as well as the philosophy of the club. Chelsea are undergoing a full reset for a variety of issues. Arsenal have 
I mean, supposedly had that reset last year, but they're still adjusting to that, and there's still questions over decisions they've made. And with Spurs, it almost feels like they've come out the other side. I think it's made those four clubs much more vulnerable than than they should be, and much more inconsistent than they should be. Um, and uh, I think I, I, that's, I think that's why we come to this question where Spurs should obviously be the third best team in the country, and yet they're uh, they're not. It feels like the Champions League places have never been more up for grabs, really. I mean, we spoke a little bit last week about, you know, whether Unai Emery would be in danger of losing his job with the um, the break in the contract at the end of this season if they don't finish in the top four. Well, they're never going to have a better chance, are they? Certainly looks that way. I think what like what Miggs was saying there is absolutely right. I think in many ways, City and Liverpool have completely rewritten how we look at football in the modern age, for sure. Like Tottenham last year, if I'm right, that points total would have been good enough to go and get go and win the league in many years before and it's the fact that now these two teams are so much better than the other two there's there's every club in the top four top six over the last decade have always had like problems to fix even Fergie's title sides had areas of weakness whereas now these two teams together who are basically going to win every game bar the two they play against each other has changed how we look at all the others so they're almost a victim of the fact that of two of at least a couple of things which are out of their hands, which is sort of a, a bit of an odd thing. Except for the one thing is Pochettino and Tottenham always liked us to believe that they were part of this revolution and they weren't they weren't going stale like Chelsea, you know, like Arsenal and United. No, they had a, they had they had a, one of those young managers that you want, you know, that the world looks at with envy, like Klopp and Guardiola, and they had young players that you know were gonna. We're going to thrill you and we're going to win trophies. And yet, it's not quite there. Okay, thank you, gents. Uh, there's just enough time left for a hero and villain of the week. Uh, Tony, do you want to maybe give a hero? Oh, yeah, the, the, the Geordie fellow up front, Joel Linton. He was fantastic. You know, and that's a great name for a Newcastle striker, isn't it, Joel Linton? I think he's like, <laughs> you know, I, I think he's from South Shields. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was fantastic. He's a, he's big and strong, got great touch, walks defenders backwards. But my favourite thing really was when he um, when he miscontrolled it on a break in the second half, and he went down as if he was shot, and he lay there, and and, and you know Tottenham were attacking, and the crowds were going mad, and all the Newcastle players were going to the ref, stop the game, stop the game, and there was nothing wrong with him. He was just having a blow. And when he got up, when he got up, he was quicker than he'd been in the previous ten minutes. Straight and you think to yourself yeah that's I mean you know you wonder whether there's a little bit of Diego Costa in there somewhere <laughs> I, I hope to see more of that as the season goes on um, Miguel do you want to give us a villain uh, I suppose that really given the day that's in it and no matter how it turns out but the owner Bolton and Mr Anderson in terms of how that where, how bad the situation has got which is obviously kind of you know it's an issue that's gone on a lot longer today, and which is the potential of one of the founding members of the football league going bust, which would be the or sorry, well going into liquidation and being kicked out of the league. It's the first time something like this happened in 1992, since 1992 with Aldershot, but it could actually be something that happens much more frequently now. Okay, thank you, gents. Uh, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. And if you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.